On today's episode of the Talent Cast, I stopped building IKEA dresser for my daughter to talk about employer brand, and those things are actually related. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand and talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at the War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. So, quick housekeeping. The webinar series for employer brands still going strong. Show notes, got two more to go. I got Audra Knight, who is, uh, I'm a huge fan of. She's fantastic. She's a rock star on at least two different levels. Uh, she's on the next one this week, coming up, I think, Monday. I've got a webinar uh, for with Career Arc about employer brand 201. That's coming up Tuesday. Uh, and I have a day job. I have things going on. It's crazy busy, but you know those are the things you want to know about. But, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, all that stuff's in the show notes, and that's not important. Because what you're here to learn about is how to spend a bajillion dollars on your employer brand. Just kidding. Uh, no, I want to talk about employer brand on the cheap. So I want to thank uh, my friend Ben Gledhill uh, out in the UK. And I don't actually know where in the UK is, but he's a super talented guy. And he pinged me, uh, gosh, now like two months ago. So he probably thinks I've forgotten about him, but I haven't forgotten about you, Ben. Um, he asked me to talk about, would it, be, would it be nice if I could talk about how to do activate an employer brand or do recruitment marketing on the cheap, on the super cheap, because he's got a great article and if you, and I'll show it in the show notes, but if you want to stop what you're doing right now and type in Ben Gledhill, uh, recruitment marketing and just the number 85, it's a LinkedIn article he put in. It's a great grid, all his tools and tips and tricks on how he does it on pennies a day, just for no money at all. Uh, 85 pounds, which is $115, depending on how you're doing it, or 96 euros at his calculation. So we're really talking about three bucks a day, three, maybe four bucks a day. Um, it's a great article. It's chock full of tips and tricks. It's chock full of tools you should definitely be using. However, how does that help you? How does that, how, do, how can I help you? So what we're going to do is we're going to take some of that thinking and really just dive into how do you activate your employer brand, which let's be fair, activating employer brand, recruitment, marketing, same thing. Um, how do you do it for no money? How do you do it for as little money as possible? Okay. That's, that's the ask here. That's the big thing we're talking about. So let's, let's start with this. Let's assume for the record, you are not one of the gaffas, the Facebooks, the Apples, the Googles, the Amazons, the Netflixes, the, uh, you know, pick it, whatever those big massive companies that can spend a bajillion dollars all day long with their cartoon sacks of cash and they just throw it at problems. You're not them. If you were, I don't know that you, this is the podcast you I'd be listening to. That's just, just, just my thought. Um, but maybe I don't know you very well and that's my problem. That's my, that's something I need to fix. I'm going to rectify that. I'm going to get to know each and every one of you, but I'm going to assume you're not working for one of those big old companies with a big old sack of cash. 
uh, and assume you have, much like everybody, no money. Now, I used to be on the agency side. I used to be one of those people who would try and sell you stuff, and every conversation started the same. You know, we don't have unlimited resources, and we're a little tight right now, And to which I would say, yeah, you and every other company in HR, you and every other employer brand person in the universe. Nobody has, even people at Amazon, and I do know people at Amazon, they have great resources, but trust me, they lament that they don't have all the resources in the world. They make choices. They ha are at, asked to do the same thing you and I do every single day and make choices about where we're spending our cash, okay? So let's stop pretending that someone somewhere is doing this great work with lots of cash. It, it's not really true. They do have cash, but they always feel constrained. So let's pretend you have no cash. So first off, let's put some th let's uh, the coffee has kicked in, kids. Let's string some thoughts together. First off, what is your employer brand? Obviously, your employer brand is a series is an impression that individuals get after a series of touch points interactions with your brand, right? If they uh, have great experience, customer experience, they are more likely to think positively about your employer brand. If they see horrible things about you in the news, they are more likely to see negative things about you in the news. If your recruiters are total jerks and spam the hell out of them, guess what? Negative impression of employer brand. Conversely, if your, if your recruiters are shooting them great content, aren't spamming them about jobs they don't, don't really qualify for, if they're being helpful, if they recruiters are seen as being supportive and, and growing the career careers of whoever those people are. Yes, positive employer brand impression, right? These are things that are already happening. Okay? Let us embrace this idea. The employer brand isn't something you go off to and, you know, take a seminar and go to a course and come back with a binder of this is what our employer brand is and it sits on a shelf. It isn't something weird or radical or different or unusual. It is effectively the culmination of all the crap you're doing already. That's important, by the way, because it means to activate that employer brand, you, well, technically, you've already activated it. You have customer service, whether they're good or bad. You have recruiters, whether they're good or bad. You have stuff in the news, probably, at some point, whether it's good or bad. You have uh, social media. You have uh, outreach. You have events, whether they're good or bad. They're already happening. So when we say things like, let's spend money to activate our employer brand, that's not where you start. When you say you're activating your employer brand, what you're saying is you're aligning all of those touch points towards the same idea so that your recruiters aren't sharky, spammy jerks and your events are all touchy-feely um, kumbaya love-ins because those two things are not the same. Those two things do not line up, right? You're already doing stuff, whether you know it or not. Right? If you don't have a recruiter, if you're a smaller company, you don't have a recruiter and you just hire people and you write the ad you know, the day you need that person to fill it and you throw it on Indeed and Craigslist and LinkedIn and all those places and you just do it to do it and you think that, that that's all you're doing. That's all you're doing. You're still building an employer brand. It still exists. Even if you're a company no one's ever heard of, even if you're a company that never makes the news, even if you're a company that doesn't have many or B2B that doesn't have a lot of consumer interactions, you still have some employer brand. Whether it's Glassdoor, whether it's the news someone finds on LinkedIn, whether it's what people search when they Google you, all that stuff, it is your employer brand. It already exists. So don't go thinking about how, do, how much money do I have to spend to activate the employer brand because it, it already exists. You've, it's already activated. It's already there. What you're trying to do is trying to say what are the tiny tweaks and changes and elements I can do to align things and then what are the small things I can do to augment what I'm already doing. So let's talk about some of that stuff, right? Uh, since you're already doing it, how do you align it? How do you amplify it? So first off, you have to understand what your employer brand should be, 
right? You already have an employer brand. It already exists in people's minds. Is that exactly what you want it to be? Let us go back to my favorite example of United Airlines, who spent a bajillion dollars trying to tell you how customer-centric they were, and then, of course, screwed it all up <laughs> with one guy. And barring the amount of money that guy made in the lawsuit and the settlement, how much money did that cost, that, that, that one incident cost their brand? A lot. And their employer brand, same thing. Do you want to work for the same company that threw a guy off the plane who paid for their ticket legally and, you know, by all rights should not have been asked to leave that flight, right? Do you want to be working for that company? Weird ask a stockbo tactics? No, of course you don't. I mean, maybe you do. Maybe that's you. I don't know. But I'm saying you have to work with that. So if that's your employee, if that's what people perceive to be your employer brand and you have to be authentic because an, an employer brand that isn't authentic is effectively worthless. In fact, it's worse than worthless because it looks like you're lying and therefore it's negating your employer brand and going, you know, it's, it's taking you two steps backwards. So it has to be authentic, whatever it is. So you have to look at your employer brand and all those interactions and all those touch points and say, what would someone looking at all this reasonably feel about our brand? And you have to look at the stuff that aligns with, the, with what you want it to be and the stuff that doesn't align and you have to fix the stuff that doesn't align so for example i'm gonna go back to recruiters i'm not you know i'm not anti-recruiter by any stretch i love me i love me some recruiters but if your recruiters are the problem if it turns out your recruiters are very transactional and they're very just put a button seat let's go let's go let's go uh here's a job here's a job here's a job and they're not cultivating relationships and that's what you want them to be you have to go to your recruiters and your recruitment managers and say, we have to change some processes. We have to change uh, how we interact with the public. And that might mean changing how you incentivize those recruiters, right? We are driven by our own incentives. I had a great conversation with someone the other day who said, we, you know, we were talking about what are recruiters incentivized by. And they said, no, 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 our recruiters are all paid flat fees. There's no bonuses. Um, you know, there's a company bonus when the company does real well. So they're incentivized to do right by the company. But you know, if they put three extra butts or 30 extra butts in seats, there's no extra money for it in them. And I said, no, that's not true. There is a huge incentive in driving, if you're, if you're, let's say, transactional about this, there's a very clear incentive driving it. And that is the hiring managers yelling at the recruiter saying, why the hell can't you hire someone? Why can't you bring me good candidates? There, it's it's the anti disincentive, right? It's this, it's it's the you know, it's not about bonuses. It's about what do I have to do to keep these hiring managers from screaming at me and making me feel bad? Oh, they just want a body. Here's a body. Here, I don't know that they're quality. I don't know that I would hire them. But you asked for a body. I gave you a body. You need to put people in the pipeline. I put people in the pipeline. Transactional, transactional, transactional. You're completely losing out on the relationship base. So it's not about necessarily creating incentives that are driven by money. Sometimes those incentives are driven by negatives, right? People yelling at them. In which case, if you need to fix that, you need to talk to your hiring managers and say, look, changing the strategy, changing the playbook. You are not allowed to yell at these people. You are not. You do not expect that these recruiters are just going to put 100 people in the pipeline for every single rec because, that, frankly, that's crazy in some instances. Maybe they're just going to put 10, but don't worry. Two or three of them will be amazing candidates, and that's all you care about anyway, right? So that's how you create incentives that align your actions with what your intentions are. You remove the barriers, you, you polish up, you know, you grease up the runways for the right actions, and people generally take those actions. And suddenly, and I say suddenly as if it doesn't take six to 12 months, right? Suddenly, your recruiters are doing much more relationship-driven stuff, more in line with what you want your employer brand to be, more in line with all the other stuff that's happening, right? So that didn't cost you a dime. Not one dime. 
So what you're doing is aligning what you're already doing to what you want it to be. So once you're aligning those things, how do you augment? How do you turn up the volume on what your employer brand is? And how do you do it for, again, no money at all? And this is when I take a sip of coffee and hopefully it's not too hot. Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second, just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who've done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. Nope, not too hot and delicious. So how do you amplify that employer brand? Well, let's start with, again, I'm all about looking at resources you already have. I'm already about, rather than having to pick the low-hanging fruit, pick up the fruit that already fell down. <laughs> pick it up off the ground. Low-hanging fruits still require some lifting. It still requires some work pulling it off the tree. Uh, fruit that fell off, it's right there. You just pick it up. Let's start with your employees. We've talked about this before a little bit, but let's go ahead and make sure we, we cover that base here. Your employees, however many, whether you have three or 30 or 300 or 300,000, it doesn't matter. Those employees are your first advocates. They know who you are. They know what the experience is all about. They know the pros and the cons of working for you. Trust me, go look at your Glassdoor reviews, see what they say. That's what they think. Some of them have left because of those things. Some of them have stayed because of the positives or in spite of the negatives. It's a very complicated process, and we talked about Glassdoor a week or two ago. Um, but that's a good sense of this is what people who work here, why they work here. They work here because they love the work-life balance. They work here because the people around them are amazing. They work here because management really gets what they're trying to do. Or there's a great vision or whatever it is. Everybody has a different answer to those questions. That's the reason people stick around. Great have your employees talk about that. And when I say talk about that, I don't just mean, hey, have them stand in a street corner and talk to strangers or buy people cups of coffee and say, hey, this is why I work for this company. No, what I'm talking about is have them tell stories on audio, in a podcast, on video, have them write them up, create a form, collect information where you're collecting stories via text in a picture. Ask them to tell those stories in a way that you can capture those stories. Stories that are told in thin air, stories that are not captured are wasted opportunities. Every single time your employee says something positive about you and you're not there to record it, wasted opportunity. You should be collecting all of them. And I don't care if they're a one sentence quote, collect it. Put whiteboards all around the office that says quote of the day or just you know something great someone said and encourage people to just write it down when someone says it. Collect it that way. Make a Google form and have them answer three or four or 10 questions about why they love working here. Collect it that way. Make a little booth. Put a video camera behind it. Put some nice lights. Certainly you can find a light or a place in your office that's nicely lit or decently lit and record it. Hey, you don't have a great video camera? I think you have a great camera in your pocket, right? You've got the supercomputer in your pocket. Use that. 
There's a million ways to capture this information. Look at me. I got to spend $10 every month and I get to talk to hundreds of you every single week, capturing it simply by sitting down using a microphone and a computer that I already had. $10 a month. That's right. That's all I put into this thing. Can you believe it? I know. But any opportunity that you can have to capture it, any you don't want to miss those opportunities. Look, your employees, no matter what your attrition or retention rates are, there are employees there who stay, who like to be there. They don't ignore the negatives. They stay here because the positive that way. Collect it, understand it, distill it, project it. That's Your employees have to be advocates. You don't have to spend a lot of money to make that happen. Now, could you spend a lot of money on social advocacy tools that encourage people to say nice things about, social, about you on social media? Yes. Do you have to? No. Do you have email at your company? I bet you do. So what I would encourage you to do is figure out who those advocates at your company are all across the departments, all across the teams, identify them, have a 15-minute meeting, buy them a donut, buy them some coffee. Okay, well, there's 20 bucks right there, 20, 25 bucks. I'm assuming you have coffee. Um, say, look, I'm adding you to this email list, and once a week I'm going to send you an email with some things I'd like you to do. And those things are very simple. Here's a article I'd like you to push out on your social media. Here's something, hey, by the way, we're going to put something on LinkedIn. Go and like it so it reaches more people, so it has a higher organic reach. Same thing with Facebook. Hey, here's a picture and a story we'd like you to put on um, your Instagram. Or if you see ours on Instagram, we'd like you to follow us on Instagram. And when you see it, like it. Increase the interaction. Increase the engagement. Therefore, get generating more organic results. Simple as that. Simple as that. Doesn't cost you a dime. You have email. You have the people. Connect the dots. Is it a little more work for you? Yes, but that is the that is the uh, the opportunity, not the opportunity cost. That is the uh, alternative. Spend a little uh, a sweat equity, as it were. Save, keep the money in your pocket. Simple as that. You want to spend the money? There's a million tools out there. I could highly recommend a couple. Not on this podcast because uh, nobody's paid me for that. So <laughs> that you can do that. Second, find the marketer who works at your company. Find them. Buy them lunch. Okay, there's 15 bucks. I'm sorry, I said pennies a day, not you know, not free. Find them and pay for lunch and say, look, you are reaching out to people all the time. How do we piggyback on some of those efforts without getting in your way? And I think you need the second part of that sentence because without the second part, that first part falls on deaf ears. No one wants, trust me, your marketers does not want you as a client. They do not want you to be involved in this process because they look at you and they say, you're not a marketer. No, you're just going to get in my way. It's like if you were if you were conducting some sort of heist and you were going to rob a bank and some amateur showed up, you're like, no, no, no. You're the one who's going to trip up the alarms. You're the one that's going to slow me down. You're the one that's going to get me caught by the cops. No, you're not in. Same. That's how marketers think. They think like a heist movie. Congratulations. I can't believe I just thought that one up. Crazy. They don't want you in their way. But there's a lot of value into piggybacking on what they do. Look at what GE's doing. Everybody looks to GE's a great example because they're really the first ones who very, very openly and publicly said, not only have we um, partnered with our marketing team, our, our quote-unquote consumer marketing team, and it's GE, so the line between consumer and, and non-consumer is complicated and just brand, but we've, we're talking about our employer brand in a way that promotes the brand. It's a very personal story. You've seen those stories where a guy or a girl, they get a job and they're programming and everybody's like, I thought you worked at railroads or I thought you maybe just made light bulbs. And not only are they promoting the job, they're also promoting the brand as being a very broad and innovative brand, right? You're hitting both notes and you're hitting them in a way that other brands aren't doing. And that's something that a marketing team should see value in, not looking like everybody else is kind of what 
where your marketing team should be living. Sounding like everybody else is a horrible idea for a marketing team. So you want to make sure you give them the opportunity to say, look, we can partner. I want to provide support. I want to provide resources. I want to provide help. We need, the more you help us, the better talent we have in the company that supports the company, the better that is for marketing, et cetera, et cetera. But again, you want to preface it in a way that it says, I'm not trying to get in your way. Trust me, they care about that. So you've done that stuff and it's free and that's going to help right? You've aligned your employer brand. You've, you've changed the things that no longer align. So therefore you've increased your alignment. You've got employees saying nice things about you. You've partnered with your marketing team and maybe that results in um, your career site URL being on the packaging of everything you do or a, or a flyer that goes into every package that goes out the door about your career site and your employer value proposition or your employer brand or why people like working here. Whatever it is, right? You've partnered with the marketing team. You found a way to augment those voices to new audiences. You've got your staff talking about you. So that's rippling out to their networks. That's fantastic. Now what? Well, let's talk about social a little bit. Now social is sort of kind of free. Because like we said, that email tool that you're going to, or that email uh, list you're going to build that asks your employees to be advocates, you know, it's free, but you might want to spend a little money on social media. Now, right now, I think, I don't think I'm the first one to say that video is kind of a thing. Now, I will say, I hate video. I really do. Personally, I really don't like to watch videos online. You know what videos I like to watch online? I like to watch drumming, and I like to watch drum covers. And occasionally I like to watch a stand-up comedian bit. That's pretty much most of it. Maybe the occasional music video. I am not following any YouTube stars. I am not oh, – oh, oh, sorry. And every once in a while, a YouTube video will have um, an answer to a problem. Like how do I fix a toilet? You know, that kind of level of thing. Oh, you're going to show me how you replace a doorknob on an interior door? Great. YouTube is fantastic for that. Video is fantastic for that. Do I watch videos on my computer like I'm watching TV? No, I really don't. I really don't. Now, 45 years old, I'm not exactly a millennial. In fact, I'm nowhere near a millennial. I'm a straight up boomer, kids. I'm a, a Gen X, rather. Not a boomer. Oh my goodness. That's my parents. I'm a straight up Gen Xer, right? I was not, I remember the days before the internet. I remember the days before home computers, frankly. Uh, I remember the day my dad brought home, um, was it IBM XT in 1980 something or other? Yikes. Uh, maybe 85, 86-ish, I can't remember. I remember pre-computer. I remember pre-internet. Therefore, to me, the idea of I'm going to sit and stare at my my laptop screen for three hours watching stuff on YouTube doesn't strike me as a thing to do. I find video to be slow and cumbersome, except in circumstances where video is literally adding something, like a screencast of something. Hey, let me show you how to do this thing. Or here, let me show you how to replace a doorknob on an interior door. First, you drill this way, and then you drill that way, and you have this clamp, and then you do this thing, and then you spackle that way, and then, yeah, great, super handy. And I want it to explain it to me in like three minutes, and then I want it to go away. Videos longer than three minutes make me nuts. I am in the minority on this one, and I own that, so that's why I say all this stuff. Video is unbelievably powerful. Unbelievably powerful, unbelievably powerful. Huge engagement rates. People share it. People comment. People connect with it. People see it. They hear it. They learn something. They're getting a lot of brain impression. It's super powerful. The question, of course, is how do you make videos on the cheap, right? You may not have an in-house video team or an in-house editorial team who has uh, a good copy of Final Cut or even iMovie. iMovie's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. Um, it looks polished enough for the, for the screen for a, for a computer. 
And maybe that just sounds like too much work. And maybe it is. And that's fine. You do not need to have commercial quality video to be valuable, to be helpful, to commit your brand and to commit to your employer brand and communicate it outwards. You need to have interviews. You need to have panels, people talking about stuff. And you can do it on a, a streaming video. So Facebook Live or YouTube, whatever YouTube streaming one is. Um, I don't know that I'd go all Instagramming. That seems a little, those are very short, whereas Facebook can be very long. Um, you know, tips and tricks on how to apply, how to interview, what we're looking for, super useful. And then you embed them on your career site so people can find them as well as embedding them on Facebook, embedding them on YouTube, embedding them on LinkedIn now. Um, super powerful stuff. It works. You, you, you build it once. You can build it very straightforwardly. If you just consider what you're trying to build and what message you're putting out there, you don't need a high level of production value. Is production value nice? Sure. But there is kind of a weird, um, you've heard of the, the, the Uncanny Valley so when you do animated characters, the closer they get to reality, there's, they get cuter and cuter, and then at some point they get too close to reality, but it's not quite reality, and it feels weird, right? It's like, ah, oh, I don't, this doesn't seem right, and then you get to a real person. That uncanny value is very, very complicated. So you look at like the Polar Express, Tom Hanks, um, it just doesn't work. It just feels weird, um, you know. But a a a cartoon. Toys, Toy Story, right? That feels very fine. We know it's 100% computer generated, but it doesn't. It's not supposed to be like a person, so it never feels awkward. When there's a person who shows up in Toy Story, that's you know, it feels so weird. It feels so un it, it, it doesn't work. There's an uncanny value, uncanny valley, valley with video as well, where doing it on the cheap. You, everybody goes, yeah, you're doing it on the cheap. I get it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to look past the production value. And then as you add production value, it looks better. It looks nicer. People like it a little bit more. And then there's a point at which you get close to commercial quality where you're like, gosh, you are so close and it looks so crappy. And it's starting to look like a commercial, meaning marketing speak, inauthentic, blah, 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 stuff I don't want to see. And then the value drops like a rock. Then you get to true commercials where a true editorial team polishes a message, message um, polishes the video, polishes the audio, make sure it's perfect and crystal clean. And people go, yeah, it's marketing, but at least it's really well done. That's when the valley comes back up. So since you don't have the money for commercial quality, don't try and make it too commercial looking because you might end up in the valley. Be okay that you're doing this for pennies on the dot on the day. No one cares that you're not spending money. What they care about is the message you're trying to put out there and how you're presenting it and what they're absorbing. That's all they care about. If you're trying to give somebody information, I don't care that you used a great camera or a mediocre camera. So long as I now know how to do the thing I'm trying to do, that's all that matters. I'm not grading you next to uh, Oscar quality movies. I'm grading you in terms of how well you delivered the value I was looking for simple as that okay um yeah so that's that's video but definitely connect that video to instagram and linkedin and glassdoor and all those places uh that you present your employer brand it does cost a little money it does cost a little time i'm not saying you have to invest hugely you don't have to do a full um you can do a lot of great stuff on glassdoor without necessarily getting their premier premium package whatever it is of course when you do you get to remove ads from other companies from your brand and that's nice um i'm not saying you should do it or you shouldn't do it it's just a good thing it's a nice thing whether it's worth it to you that's up to you beyond that and we touched on this a bit content you have to tell your story right it 
there's a million ways to tell that story. If you're collecting it properly, you have to then put it out into the world. You have to have a career site that makes sense, that people want to see. If you're trying to glue uh, a story onto your jobs page because that's that's all you have, you're in trouble. So for example, your jobs pages, if you're a company of any size, is dr effectively driven by your ATS, right? Your ATS is where your jobs live. There's a scraping, there's a pushing of the jobs out to the world in whatever capacity, whether you're spending a you know, a lot of money on um, a recruitment marketing uh, platform from any number of agencies and companies. I won't name names. You know who I'm talking about. You, they can cost you a lot of money. And, or if you just have your job on an iframe and another website or whatever, however you're presenting that information, generally it looks crappy. It just, it just does. Why? Because you're not a web designer, chances are, and you don't have the access to the resources your marketing team does to build websites. If you build a website, chances are you don't have the resources to do a lot of care and feeding because they built the website assuming a team of 10 would be managing it, i.e. your marketing team, and you don't have a team of 10 to manage it. It's complicated. So instead, I want you to think about your content in terms of what is the least amount of, of, of bells and whistles you need to present information of value to somebody coming in. Again, it doesn't have to be polished, it doesn't have to be gorgeous, it doesn't have to look like a webby winner. It has to be useful, it has to be compelling, it has to be interesting. There are many, many, many websites in this world who are ugly as sin and yet are amazing. Think back to Google and Amazon 10 years ago, the most important websites bar none, pre-Facebook, the ugliest websites in the world. That Amazon beige, I mean, meh. Google's first logo looks like hell. Uh, it was so boring and there's nothing to it. It was overly clean and austere. Amazon's was just cluttered with here's links and here's reviews and here's stuff and here's beige and here's ugly websites. From a user experience, from a design level, crap. However, presented amazing information. Therefore, most important websites. So it's not about the design, it's not about the polish, it's about the information, the ease by which people can collect and absorb that information. That's what counts, that's what matters the most. So, if you're collecting information, if you're collecting stories, as we talked about earlier, whether it's video, whether it's audio, whether it's text, whether it's pictures, don't care, doesn't matter. How are you going to present that to the world? Are you gonna put all this stuff on your LinkedIn and have it live there and have that be your career site? That's a valid strategy. It's not what I would go with necessarily. I mean, I can see I can see situations in which that's the way to go, and maybe that's what works for you. And fantastic, do it. Maybe you need your own website. Maybe you really need a place that's truly your own that you can manage by yourself. And there are lots of ways to do it where you're not spending a lot of money. WordPress, Wix, Squarespace, all those places allow you to build content in a platform that allows you to not need to know how to use too much HTML to get good work out there. The question is, if you build it as a silo way over there, how does it connect to your jobs? If you decide to put all your content on Medium, and I love Medium, uh, at least I did until they changed their business model and now I'm not sure, sure where I land on that. But if you decide to put all your content on Medium, that's great. How do they go from there to the jobs? How do you connect those dots? You have to consider that. Right? If the goal is to employ your, you know, is to brand your information so that people have a positive employee brand message, a positive employee brand perception, what do you do once you've made that perception happen? How do you get them to do the thing you want them to do, i.e. apply? And remember, jobs are complicated. Jobs are transactional. Jobs are the, 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 the token you have to drop in to make something happen. A lot of st stuff happens before and after that token drops. A lot of stuff happens before and after the application. So for example, you're looking to hire a new director of development. 
whether it's business or engineering, it doesn't matter because those things have a longer half, a longer cycle, a longer um, turnaround time, right? People don't just go and apply, you know, hit the apply button because they saw the job. They have to know what the company is about. They have to have a sense of, is this company potentially successful? Is it growing? Um, no one wants to hitch their wagon to a fading star unless they can see value in it for them. And if so, what is that value and how does that value uh, connect with their uh, motivations? So they learn about you. They do it before and after. Think about what someone is learning about you or wants to learn about you before they'd apply. And then think about what they want to learn about you, having had that phone screener with the recruiter and now scheduled to meet the hiring manager. What did they, aren't they going to do more research about the company to figure out what questions they're going to ask that hiring manager? Yes. And some of that information lives on your career site, right? Meet the people, meet the hiring manager, meet the other, see the office, see our culture, our mission, our values, whatever. Those are conversations the, a good candidate is going to want to have in the interview. Where are they going to learn all about that? Your content. So ha make sure it's available for people after the application. So consider that there are two people looking at your website, people who want to apply and people who want to learn. And make sure your website connects to both of those audiences. Otherwise, your you know, filling the top of the funnel, but not allowing anything to go through. If you fill, if you focus on getting the application and people apply, but then you make it very hard to find out more about you, people fall out of the funnel fast. They go, this is a company that doesn't care about me. Oh, I got a, I had a good phone screener. You know what? I think I'm going to walk away. And that's what happens. So you have to, you have to understand how that employer brand connects to both of those audiences, people looking to apply for a job and people looking to learn about your company. Um, okay. So I want to tie this up because it's been 30 minutes. That's all great stuff. And again, I talked. To, I look, look at Ben's stuff. He's got great tools. He's got great cheapo tools to use to do a lot of the stuff I'm talking about. But I want to leave with this note, and that is a simple one-word note. Iterate. The truth is your employee brand is a living, breathing thing, right? It is. If it lives in the minds of people as they go about their lives, as they're considering applying for a job before they even consider applying for a job, why they, after they've applied for a job, while they work for you. That employee brand or employer brand evolves. It grows. It morphs. It changes based on all the inputs that get thrown at it. So you're never done amplifying and aligning your employer brand because, again, if United was done a year ago, and stop spending money telling everybody how cons consumer-driven or customer-driven they were, and that happened, what happened? They've just killed their employer brand. They have to go back and start to care and feed it and start all over again and try to find, now that these things have happened, where do we stand? What are we all about? What do we want to convey to the audience? Because your employer brand is always evolving, that means all of your tactics, your content, your stories, the activation has to evolve too, meaning, there is no best practice for how to communicate your employer brand. There just is none. And anybody who says this is a best practice, remember, remember what's true about, employer, about best practices. Best practices mean that's what everybody else does. And if you're going to play follow the leader, you're listening to the wrong podcast, folks. You know that by now. You don't want to play follow the leader. You're trying to connect to not just some generic audience, but to your audience, your potential candidates. If you're um, a startup, you do not need to care about what my mother thinks about you. I love my mom, but she has no bearing whatsoever on your world, on who you're hiring, who your audience is, who your customers are. No bearing whatsoever. So do not consider everyone because that means you're considering my mom and she's going to screw up your aggregates all day long. 
you need to know who you're trying to reach, what you're trying to say, and what they care about, and push towards that. Which means if you've decided to ignore best practices, that means you have to create your own best practices. How do you do that? Very simple. It's a spaghetti game. You throw it against the wall, you see what works, you throw the rest away, and then you learn how to do it better. You are perpetually making it better. The people who are amazing at employer brands did not just make an amazing employer brand. They didn't just show up and say, here's my magic uh, fairy dust, here's my magic wand, sprinkle, 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 razzmatazz, kabam, amazing employer brand. It takes time. It takes growth. It takes evolution. There is no instant employer brand. There's no instant way to create positive brand impressions in all the people you're trying to reach out of like that. Can't be done. Can't be done. Not unless you have a bajillion dollars, and we already talked about that you don't. So don't think that your employer brand gets done. Think of it as a Everybody remember Tamagotchis? Uh, it's a little young for me, uh, but those little uh, keychain, uh, Japanese keychain computer things that were like fake pets and you had to pet it every day or pet it every couple hours and feed it once a day or else it would die. That's your employer brand. You have to care and feed it. You have to take care of it. You have to water it like a plant. You have to love it. You have to think about it. You have to look at everything you're doing and say, how does it tie? How does it align? How do I grow it? How do I evolve it? That's the gig. That's the job. You don't make an employer brand and say, I've launched my employer brand. Done. Nope. Try again. Keep going. Employer brands are living, breathing things. They need care and feeding and love and support and all those wonderful things. So all these tools, all these practices, pennies a day still, you don't have to spend a bajillion dollars, but you have to be perpetually focused on it in order to make it work. All right. That's a podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate every review. Please review us. Please leave some stars or a review. We love them. Uh, that's really why we do this, if you can believe it. Um, otherwise, if you'd like to hear me talk and you'd like to bring me into your audience, go to jamesellis.us. That's where my stuff is. We have presentations We can and you can bring me in. Uh, I love to talk about stuff. I am going to be at, I can announce, I guess now, not only am I going to be at Social Recruiting Strategies Conference in uh, February. I'm going to be at ERE in April. I'm pumped. Not been to ERE before, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, if you see me, say hello or say you're a jerk and I disagree with everything you said. All of opinions are valid in that case. I'm going to try and do some live casting podcast there. We'll see how things go. Otherwise, um, I will see you next week. If you have any thoughts on what you'd like me to talk about next week, you got to ping me. I can't read your mind. I'm amazing and wonderful, but I am not magical. So, Tweet me at the War for Talent, or find me on all sorts of social and/or uh, computer internet-based channels. Uh, is not hard to find me. Find me, ask me questions, or suggest topics. I would love to help you out. So, with that, I'm going to close out, and I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.